Hey, join conversation listeners. Before we start the episode, I want to remind you that what started as a podcast is now growing into a full-fledged education nonprofit, Project Mosaics. Like Joy and Conversation, Project Mosaics exists to tell stories of global Jewish history and culture, the sorts of stories that don't get enough attention, even though they deserve it. Project Mosaics is working hard to center and elevate Jewish history in classrooms by working with historians, memoirists, and artists from Jewish communities around the world. This is all part of a push to make schools more inclusive places where diverse voices are heard and students have access to multicultural content in their classrooms. We're in the early days of building Project Mosaics and we need your help. If you wanna see Jewish history in schools and you believe that Jewish diversity and vibrancy from Iran to Morocco, Greece to Argentina, should be part of how a global approach to teaching Jewish history is found in schools, help Project Mosaics connect the pieces of Jewish history. Visit www.projectmosaics.org and make a donation today. Every dollar helps. Okay, so now on with the episode. Welcome to Joy in Conversation, a podcast about Jewish history and culture. It's with scholars, but it's for everyone. I'm Dan, and I'll be your host. Join me and find joy in conversation because, well, it's a mitzvah. In early 2021, I had the pleasure of interviewing Ruth Bahar, who talked to me about the experiences of Jews in Cuba. I'll be honest, before speaking with Ruth, I was mostly unaware of the community, its history, and their experiences in the Caribbean. After our conversation, that quickly changed. Ruth was born in Cuba to a Sephardic father whose family hailed from the Ottoman Empire and an Ashkenazi mother of Polish ancestry. Ruth is a cultural anthropologist by training, yet it takes only a few minutes of talking to her to be drawn in by her heart and the emotions that permeate her descriptions of Cuba and the Jewish community on the island. Ruth calls herself an anthropologist who specializes in homesickness. There's no denying that. She radiates that homesickness. So even someone who has never been to Cuba ends up feeling attached to the island, attached to its pace of life, and the allure for those who once and continue to call it home. After we spoke, I devoured as many of Ruth's books as I could. I wanted to know just what made her homesick. Her books were a glimpse into this homesickness. I read Letters from Cuba, a novel for young readers inspired by her grandmother's arrival in Cuba from Poland and her ongoing correspondence with family still in Europe. It overwhelmed me with scenes from early 20th century Cuba, from sugarcane fields to the sights and sounds of Havana. I then immersed myself in Lucky Broken Girl, based on Ruth's experience as a Cuban Jewish immigrant, newly arrived in New York City and making sense of this new country among relatives who yearn for Cuba and bring with them what they can from their island home. Ruth's nonfiction, like Traveling Heavy, a memoir between journeys, and An Island Called Home, returning to Jewish Cuba, brought me into closer contact with Ruth's work as an anthropologist with a beating heart. 
through pictures and vignettes of scenes with Jews who remained in Cuba after so many other Jews left in the early 1960s, Ruth invited me to see these people through these books, to learn the names of individuals, to appreciate the minutia of their daily lives, replete with hardship, love, and perseverance. This all made me yearn for Cuba, for Jewish Cuba, for a portal into a world that, until recently, I didn't know existed. Like Ruth, I wanted to speak with people with ties to Cuba. Then, Scott Berenthal and Cindy White made this possible. Scott and Cindy are the U.S.-born children of Saul Berenthal, who was born in Cuba in 1944, but fled and arrived in the United States after the revolution. Cindy and I spoke recently, and she shared what it means for her and for her family to be Juban, and to have taken it upon themselves in recent years to return to Cuba and sustain their relationship with the people there. The family now owns and operates the only kosher bed and breakfast in Cuba, a Casa Particular, making it possible for Jews from around the world to visit Cuba, embrace the people there, and do so while abiding by Jewish law. So I spoke with Cindy to learn more about Chateau Blanc, the family's Casa Particular in Havana, why they returned to Cuba, and how the family is working to improve people's quality of life in Cuba. So let's listen to Cindy, learn about Jubins, and see what it means to return and reunite with Cuba, to return and reunite with Jewish Cuba. Yalla, let's learn together. We've always been Jubins, and to me, it means community. The Jubins are a very, very tight-knit community. No matter where you live, Jewish people born in Cuba just have this love for one another. And it's just a big family. My Jewish friends and my non-Jewish friends that are not connected to Cuba in any way don't really understand the feeling of being Juban. There's a feeling that you just have when you're in a Juban group or a Juban community that is so, so close-knit and just embedded in your DNA. When you're together in a Juban party, Seder service, when you see the Jubans interacting with each other, you would think that that whole group was related. Just because they are so close and know everything about each other. Even if they haven't spoken for 20 years, they can come together and it's like it was yesterday. Cindy's father, Saul, was born in Cuba, but left because of the revolution. So what was it like for Saul to arrive and build a life in America, and then decades later, return to Cuba? He honestly didn't think a whole lot about Cuba He was about 16 when he got here, and he just decided, if this is going to be my life, I am going to be American. He went to school, he started a business, and really didn't think about it much until we started talking about going back. Once we got there, it just pretty much hit him like a rock. It was nothing like he remembered. There's a part of people who left Cuba who never want to go back. But the ones that do, they go back and they just want to reconnect with the people who 
stayed. They want to come and reunite. And there's something about people who are born in the same place where you're born that you have this connection with. It's definitely more sentimental for the ones who left and then came back. Cindy was born in the United States, but returned to Cuba with her family later in life. So what was Cuba for her before visiting? And how did her understanding of the country evolve once she traveled there? I heard hundreds of stories from my grandparents and my parents just about how they lived, their life, their family, how they got there. I just remember it being this paradise. People would go on honeymoons there and vacations and just this gorgeous island. And I could just sort of picture how just amazingly beautiful it was. Going back there was a little bit of a shock because you could see how things were gorgeous back before the revolution. So it was just a a little wake-up call. My generation, the ones that have gone back, it's more of a curiosity because we've heard so much about it. And so we really are just curious to see and to understand why our parents and grandparents were so passionate when they told us stories about growing up there. Returning to Cuba meant encountering people, Jewish, non-Jewish, family, friends, neighbors, all sorts of people who did not leave after the revolution. So what was it like for Cindy and her family to make this return and meet in person the people who had stayed behind to meet them after decades of estrangement? At the beginning, it was a little bit awkward because some of the people left were hurt and upset that we left. So it was our job, I think, to kind of explain to them why we're coming back now. Right now, we're coming back. We haven't forgotten you. We want to help. Returning to Cuba was the start of much more than just short trips to the island to remember and reconnect. The family opened Chateau Blanc, Cuba's only kosher B&B. They host visitors from around the world, and their kosher environment invites Jubans and non-Cuban Jews to return to or even just visit the island for the first time. So what kind of experience do they offer visitors? What's on the itinerary when staying at Chateau Blanc and visiting Cuba? What will people see and feel? What impressions of the Cuban people and of life in Cuba emerge when visiting the island? You fly in, and the very first place on the way to the B&B will stop at the Revolutionary Plaza and show you around there. Then you arrive at the hotel with a mojito, and you relax, you unpack, and then um, we'll go out and start seeing sights. So we'll take you to the Museum of the Revolution, which most people just think is the most fascinating place because you see history from a different point of view. And we go to all the Havana Vieja in Old Havana. They have four main squares with 
stores and restaurants and things to see. We do all the Ernest Hemingway places where he went for his daiquiris and his mojitos. And in downtown, there is a Jewish-themed hotel that will stop in and look around. We'll go to all three synagogues. We can obviously take rides in the convertibles. We'll see the Hotel Nacional. A lot of places in Havana, but you have to go to the mountains to see Vinales. It's a gorgeous area, and there you can see actually how they grow the tobacco and the coffee for the famous Cuban coffee and cigars. And or you can go to the beautiful beaches of Varadero. So you can see all different types of the ways Cubans live. You can see how they live in the city, you can see how they live in the mountains, and then by the ocean. It's the people of Cuba that make Cuba such a magical place. With the little that they have, they are the most giving, happy people I've ever met. For me, I love the music and the art. And you can drive to all different areas of town and hear music on the streets and see murals on the wall. And it's just as a magical, welcoming, beautiful place. You hear a lot about Cuba and they're communist and it's so old, but they don't really know until they get in the heart of it, how vibrant and colorful and beautiful it is. And then on the other side of the coin, I've brought a couple of BBYO groups, my son's group when he was younger, and they see how the Cubans live. And when they leave, they have such mixed emotions. They just really loved being there and experiencing it and seeing things. And then when they get home, they appreciate what they have because Cubans have so little, but they're so happy. Cindy and her family not only returned to Cuba, but built a business. And through that business, they provide aid and assistance to people throughout Cuba. Their return is not only personal, but it's oriented towards a purpose beyond themselves. There's a civic-mindedness to their work in Cuba. The people in Cuba need everything. Medicine, food, clothing, toiletry. Everything there is in very, very short supply. When we bring groups over, we do ask, if you can, to please bring some donations. Over-the-counter aspirin, vitamins, Band-Aids, toothbrushes, personal hygiene, school supplies. Anything is so greatly appreciated. We actually partner with a nonprofit called Pack for a Purpose. So people bring their donations to our B&B, and then we distribute them to the pharmacy, to the senior center. Speaking to Cindy, I wanted to know more about Jewish communal life in Cuba today. I wanted to know about the spiritual centers that bring community together. I wanted to know about the rituals and practices found in Cuba and what, if anything, is distinctive about them. 
There are in Havana alone three active synagogues. So we have a conservative, a Sephardic, and an Orthodox. And the conservative patronato is called Beth Shalom. They cater towards the youth. They gather together, they dance, they have their community meetings, they celebrate holidays. The Sephardic synagogue is more dedicated to the seniors of the community. And they have a Holocaust exhibit that was actually produced by Steven Spielberg. So it's really cool. And then the Orthodox synagogue that's in Old Havana. With the three synagogues in Cuba, there are no rabbis. So they are usually member-led. At the Patronato in the conservative synagogue, a lot of the teenagers lead the prayers. And to me, I think that's beautiful. I love that. I've never seen that in any other synagogues that I've ever been to. And then also, you know, most conservative places have the same tunes and songs that they sing for their prayers. In Cuba, they do it with like a little Latin <laughs> flair to it. So I think that's a cool thing they do. Everybody does come together and congregate at the synagogues, but that is one of the big reasons that we opened our B&B because we want it to be another location where people can congregate and hang out. And we made it kosher so that the population of people who keep kosher can come because there's no other establishment on the whole island that has kosher food. The reason why we are kosher is for the population of the world that would come to visit Cuba that keep kosher can come and feel comfortable eating at our B&B because in the past, if you keep kosher and you come to Cuba, you usually bring your own food because you can't eat out because all the other places aren't kosher. But we absolutely are open and welcome any and everybody who comes. The people who don't keep kosher will eat out. They'll go to restaurants and bars and have their meals outside of the B&B, whereas if you keep kosher, then you come and you eat with us. But otherwise, it's just like a regular hotel. Chateau Blanc is a kosher B&B. Let's dig into that. What's on the menu? What role does food play in helping visitors to the island encounter Cuban culture, Jewish flavors, and the interplay between these influences? Growing up, we ate Cuban food. We love the Cuban food. And when people come to Cuba, they want to immerse themselves and they want to eat the Cuban food. So what we do is we take Cuban recipes, but make them kosher. No pork, no mixing meat and dairy. But we do try to do as much Cuban flavor as possible. We have a dish called arroz con pollo, chicken and rice, which is very, very Cuban. And we have the plantains, the sweet, the salty. And we do paella, like a Cuban paella. And the vegetables and the fruits from Cuba, it, it's just all delicious. We've had guests from all over, from Israel, from Canada, from Argentina, 
from Korea, people from all over the world. It's a country lost in time. What draws people is to see things that you don't typically see when you go somewhere. The classic cars, the buildings, you see the buildings still intact that were there 60 plus years ago. Cindy and her family's work is about bringing Jewish people from around the world to Cuba. It's about bringing Americans to Cuba. It's more than just leisure, food, and entertainment. So what does she see as the implications of travel to Cuba? Unfortunately, from the U.S. point of view, a lot of people here are influenced by what they hear and see in politics. And so they don't really look past what Cuba actually really is. It's, it's an evolving country. They're really, they're trying to move forward with new economic strategies and social changes. And our hope is that the two countries can form a positive partnership. We want people to understand that it's legal. It's very legal to go to Cuba. <laughs> There are certain things you have to do. The easiest and broadest is support of the Cuban people. So under that, all you need to do is to have your itinerary based on the private sector instead of the government sector. And that is easily done by staying at private homes called Casa Particulares, such as ours, eating in private restaurants, paladares, and just engaging with the private providers, such as the classic cars or entertainment. So it's very easy to legally go to Cuba and have an amazing time. Cindy and her family and the whole team at Chateau Blanc work to bring people to Cuba. So let's hear her final thoughts on this mission and why it is that she and all the members of this team are so passionate about this particular cause. There is a Jewish Cuban population still left. And because it's been so hard for so many years to get to Cuba, they have felt very isolated. And what we would love is for people to come and, and learn and ask questions and help them not feel so isolated. Because we as Jews, have this kinship amongst all of us, no matter where you were born. And the Jews of Cuba have just been neglected for the past 60 years. So I would love for people to come and visit and talk with them and just learn from each other. A special thanks to Cindy White and Scott Barenthal. It was a real treat talking to you. If you're interested in learning about Chateau Blanc, visit chateau-cuba.com. That's C-H-A-T-E-A-U-Cuba.com. Thanks as always to Nico Rivers for music supervision, as well as mixing and mastering Joy and Conversation. To learn more about Nico's work as a composer, visit nicorivers.com. And to learn about his work in film and audio production, visit horrorformaudio.com. That's a-U-R-A-F-O-R-M audio.com Alec Hudson is responsible for our graphic design and Klezmer theme song. To learn more about Alec's designs, visit warbirdcreative.com And for his music, visit alechudson.com
Our website design is by Jacob Lazara. Our episodes feature music from the Boston-based Sephardic band, Voice of the Turtle. The group is no longer active, but their music is on Spotify, and their website remains a trove of Sephardic sounds. Listen and learn more at voiceoftheturtle.com. We also feature music from Ezekiel's Wheels. Thanks to the band and Abigail Reisman for making that happen. Learn more about Ezekiel's Wheels at ewklesmer.com. Thanks also to Blue Dot Sessions for making high-quality music available for creatives everywhere. And thanks to you, our audience, for your time and curiosity. Stay engaged with Joy in Conversation by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice and by visiting our website, joyinconversationpodcast.com. And remember, Joy in Conversation is still independent, but it's now the audio experience for Project Mosaics, an education nonprofit dedicated to promoting humanities education that elevates and centers Jewish history, culture, art, and identity by creating digital multimedia content that illuminates the plurality of Jewish voices and experiences from around the world in classrooms right here at home. Donate to Project Mosaics and help us create content for teachers and students that's multicultural and culturally affirming. Support Project Mosaics and help us connect the pieces of Jewish history. Okay, Bashufaku. We'll see you next time.